Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. God's Word. We'll read all 11 verses beginning in verse 1, Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which, were, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is, and is to come. And then, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns upon the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, we'll remind us of what we've looked at thus far in this chapter, and the entirety of chapter 4 is about the throne uh, that is set in heaven as soon as John is caught up from earth, which we believe is a picture uh, in chapter 4 of the rapture of the church, as it is told us will occur in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when the trump sounds. As we follow this, the scene changes from earth to heaven, from the church on earth and churches on earth to the throne. As we've been there, we've looked at the portrayal of the throne, who's on the throne, what's going on round about the throne, what's coming out of the throne, before the throne, in the midst and round about the throne are the terms used to describe the throne. We looked at that in detail. And then we looked uh, one entire week at the elders uh, as they picture a mature or uh, uh, a, a perfect saint. So we look at the example of the elders that are here, the fact that they're clothed in white raiment and crowns upon their heads, are pictures of the victorious Christian life. They have overcome uh, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of His testimony. And so we looked at that. And then the participants around the, the throne, of course, include those four and twenty elders, but also the four beasts that we looked at last week. And, of course, those four beasts are mentioned as the living creatures in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, chapter 28 mentions those four beasts. Uh, Ezekiel, I believe, 39 as well, both 28 and 39. And so you have that same description of those four types of beasts in Ezekiel as it's found here in Revelation. So we took some time to look at that in detail. 
last week, what we're going to look at today is the proclamation taking place before the throne. So we pick up again in verse 8, which we were in last week in conclusion. But verse 8, eight says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And this is where we pick up tonight. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. A key text of scripture, I, I think... Anybody that is, is paying attention to what's going on in the world today in so-called Christendom would do well to study the person of the Lord Jesus Christ from the book of Revelation because of the minimizing of his holiness that our, our culture, especially American culture, is experiencing. Um, if, you're, if you're knowledgeable at all, and I've not dug too deep, so I can't speak super intelligently about this, and if this offends, then it just does. But if you're familiar at any level with a series of, of, of programs being created called The Chosen, Jesus Christ is being given an identity by the writers of that program. As, as, as much as I do understand, it's not consistent with the Bible. And people are enamored with the Jesus of The Chosen. May I say this? We're not going to better communicate Jesus Christ any better than he's communicated in this book. I want to say that again. Many, many years ago, you know, many of you remember when the Passion of the Christ came out. And at that time, thousands upon thousands of people were supposed to get saved because the gospel was finally going to be convincing through the film, The Passion of the Christ, produced by a devout Roman Catholic, someone who doesn't even believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you say, I don't, you, no, you cannot be a devout Catholic and a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. You cannot be an idolater and a worshiper of God at the same time. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. And so what I want to say here tonight is it would do us well. We, we are in a culture that wants the Lord Jesus to be a certain kind. We want to fit him into the humanistic mold and make him the Jesus of our own imagination. And the book of Revelation will help us not to do that. As we study him here in the proclamation that's made before the throne, we're going to find these four beasts that we looked at in detail last week. They're speaking up, and the first thing they say about him that is on the throne is what? Holy. God's defining attribute is his holiness. When the Lord Jesus came to earth, what separated him from all other men was his holiness. Holiness is purity from the defilement of sin. God is holy. As we study the character and the nature of God, though God is patient with sinners, God is merciful towards sinners, though God is long-suffering towards sinners, God is not tolerant of sin in himself or in anything else. God is merciful, God is gracious, God is long-suffering, but God is not and never has been complicit with sin. He won't touch it. Amen? God has never lied. He never will. It's interesting. We have three holies, uh, and of course... The, the number three is the number of a witness. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I think it's interesting you have four beasts. That's more than two or three saying the same thing. But the threefold holiness, of course, is referring to the threefold aspect, uh, the threefold person of the Godhead. Though God the Father is holy, God the Son is holy, and God the Holy Spirit 
is holy. We are told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Be therefore holy, as the, for the Lord your God is. Be therefore holy, for the Lord your God is holy. By the way, when Peter said that to New Testament Christians, he was quoting Old Testament Scripture. I believe it's the book of Deuteronomy. He was quoting, Be therefore holy, for the Lord your God is holy. Meaning we are supposed to have the same relationship towards sin and impurity that God does. We're to conform to Him as the standard of how to deal with sin. We are not to compare ourselves to other people. We're to be realizing that God, through Jesus Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, is the one who teaches us what holiness is and what the standard is to conform to, and it's Him. And so then, whether we're talking about it in our spirit or in our thinking or in our actions or words, and so then, the witness of these beasts, we're gonna, if we're outlining tonight, we're looking at Roman numeral number three in the outline, the proclamation before the throne, and the letter A there is the witness of these beasts, and that is, they say, of the one on the throne. The Bible says, first of all, I would say this, there's a constancy to this witness, and that has the idea that God's holiness never changes. The Bible says, the four beasts rest not day and night, saying, holy, holy, holy. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. 21st century American Christianity may want a different God, but he's the same one. He's still holy, just like he was holy before. He's still holy today. And so they rest not day or night. There's a constancy to their witness. They are constantly saying, the Lord is holy, the Lord is holy, the Lord is holy. And they cease not day or night. Holy, holy, holy. And it's, again, it's very interesting to me. The first thing they deal with about the character of God is his holiness. Turn with you would. Hold your finger there in Revelation. I want to see this pattern in Scripture. Uh, and this is well for Christians to get a hold of, especially Christians in 21st century America where carnality rules the day in the lives of so many of God's people. Say, what is carnality, Pastor? It is when saved people who are on their way to heaven live like they're going to stay forever on earth. It is when people that are saved and have eternal life live for things that are temporal. When we measure value by temporal measures, okay? I saw a headline of an article uh, this week out of the New York Times. It is, it is, here's the title. You ready? Some of you may have seen this floating around the internet. I don't know. But it says, Oh, come all ye faithful, except when Christmas falls on Sunday. The New York Times. What kind of a testimony is that? And it talks about how many churches are canceling because pastors and leaders understand people would rather be home in their pajamas. And that's the headline. Oh, come all ye faithful, except when Christmas falls on Sunday. That kind of gives you a sampling of where the general disposition of most American Christians are and what the priorities are in our lives and so forth. And so with that in mind, many times we are prone to be told by the culture, the supposed Christian culture, that the first and foremost attribute of God is that he's peaceable. God is peaceful. We'll see in our series on Sunday morning that he's the Prince of Peace. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. But before he is peaceable, before his wisdom is peaceful, what is it first? It is pure first, which is holiness, okay? So the Bible says in James chapter 3, verse 14, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But, here it is, verse 17, The wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without 
hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. May I say this? God is concerned about our peace, but he's first concerned about purity. The first thing that the beasts say about the Lord is holy, holy, holy. They emphasize his purity before they emphasize his power. His purity is marked out first, holy, holy, holy. Then they say, Lord God Almighty. So he is Almighty God, as we saw the Lord Jesus Christ on Sunday morning. But the fact is, first of all, he's holy, holy, holy. And everything about him is governed by his holiness. He is, as it says of the Lord Jesus Christ, he came was separate from sinners. That doesn't mean he didn't interact with sinners. It doesn't mean that he didn't love sinners and forgive them and save them. What it does mean is he kept himself from their sin. We're just like we're called to come out from among them and be ye separate. That doesn't mean you never talk to a lost person. It doesn't mean you're not kind to a lost person. What it means is you keep yourself distant from their sin. Touch not the unclean thing, the Bible says. Amen? Separation from them means to keep ourselves pure for the Lord's good name. And so holy, holy, holy is the first thing that these beasts say. It's a constant thing they're saying. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So again, Revelation emphasizes this over and over, the eternal nature of God. So God is, first of all, holy. He is almighty. He's Lord God Almighty. He has all power. Uh, it's very interesting. There's three words used there, three descriptive terms. He's Lord. That has to do with His governance. He's God with His authority and His power over all creation. He's almighty. It has to do with the unlimiting aspect of His power. There's no limit to His power. He's almighty. Yeah, which was, meaning he's in the past, he's in the present, and he's in the future. Uh, as far as I understand, and this is, this is the case, Isaiah 57, verse 15, is the only time the word eternity is used in the Bible. The only time the word eternity is, if you have a different translation of the Bible than King James, they're going to put it there, I believe, in the book of, uh, of Ecclesiastes. When the Bible says that God has put the world in our hearts, many people quote that he's put eternity in our hearts. It's not what the King James Bible says. So in that regard, eternity, the only time the word's used in the Bible, in the King James Bible, is Isaiah 57, 15. Thus saith the, the Holy One that inhabiteth eternity. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the High and Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him. Also that is a contrite and humble spirit to revive the heart of the humble and Revive the heart of the contrite ones. And so he, he inhabits eternity. God is the only one that inhabits eternity. He never had a beginning. He never has an end. And so the emphasis of these four beasts is he's holy, threefold holy, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He's also threefold holy in that he's holy in the past. He's holy today. And he'll be holy in the future because he was and he is and he is to come. Uh, you cannot, as much as the world has tried, you cannot annihilate God. <laughs> Man hasn't the power to do that. And so... Uh, he was and he is and he is to come. So we find the witness of the beast, first of all, the constancy of that witness. They rest not day and night, crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. I, I want us, if you could sum up what they're saying here. So this has to do with the confession. So the first part is the constancy of their witness. The second is the confession, which we find there in verse 8. And in verse 9, we're going to find the consequence of their witness. But if you could sum up in a phrase or a term the attitude of these four beasts toward the one on the throne, how would you describe it? What would we call this attitude of he is holy, he is Lord God Almighty, he was, he is, and he is to come. What's being done here is the greatness of God is being declared. 
What would we call this? Reverence? Tremendous. What else would we call it? It is certainly worship. And both of those, I think, can be summed up in the fear of the Lord. Let me ask you this. We studied those four beasts last, night, last week. They have six wings. These are cherubims, right? They have six wings. They can go forward, backward, side to side, up and down. They can traverse any part of God's creation that they need to at any given time. They are full of eyes, meaning they can see all places at all times. Now, they're not omnipresent and they're not omniscient as is God, but they are far, how many of us agree these, these four beasts are far more intelligent than you and I? How many of us can agree that they are far more powerful than you and I? And yet look at their attitude toward God. Their attitude toward God is, he is, we're here, he's here. Now, if the cherubims worship God, you know, how, do we realize how belligerent it is when a human being will not worship God? That is belligerence. To think that I am so profoundly intelligent that I don't need to know there's a God or that I don't need to recognize his might and his power or his holiness is just belligerence. To not worship God is folly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, uh, um, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding, Proverbs 9 and 10. So here tonight we see these four beasts. They are declaring, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. The consequence of that declaration is seen in verse 9. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him. So as the four beasts declare the greatness of God, they give him glory. Uh, that word glory has to do with as I understand it, uh, the idea of bringing something to light, bestowing dignity and honor upon someone or something, but to do so in a way that it's very apparent. So we're not, we're not uh, it's to, to, to make, as, as something would glow with glory. Uh, it's the idea of, that idea of glowing with, with glory. So they're bestowing glory on God. They are bringing to light with great clarity the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, uh, they are bestowing honor. That is to put high value on someone or something. You understand, as the Lord Jesus walked this earth, if I had to ask you tonight, which did he care the most about? What God the Father who sent him to earth thought of him and of his life? Or what of his blood kindred thought of his life? Which would we say? Where did the Lord Jesus put more value? On the opinion of the Father or of the opinion of his relatives? I always agree Mary was a godly and good woman, a sinner just like you and I who need to be saved, but a godly woman. Yet when Mary petitioned him to get special favor, he said, my brother, mother and my brethren are these that hear the word of God and keep it. Meaning he told her no in order to tell him yes. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, says, and all these things should be added unto you. What does it take when a person seeks first the kingdom of God? You know what they're doing? They're honoring God. What we're saying is, my relationship with God is the most valuable relationship I have. Now, if we're not impressed with God, if we're not impressed with His holiness, if we're not impressed with Him, uh, with His wisdom, if we're not impressed with His mercy, if we're not impressed with His love, if we're not impressed with God's character, we're not going to honor Him. We're going to say, yeah, well, God may think this, but I don't really care what God thinks. God doesn't pay my paycheck. That man who hired me pays my paycheck. Well, God may think this, but he's not the one that has the power to make me feel bad or to cut me off or 
pull this out of my life. Well, actually, he is. God just doesn't behave like everybody else does. Uh, God loves us enough that he allows us to hurt him, and he stays faithful. So you can't hurt God. You can't damage him, but you can certainly grieve him. And so tonight what I'm trying to say is these cherubims are saying, holy, holy, holy. They are bestowing glory on the Lord Jesus Christ, on God. They are bestowing honor. They are saying he is worthy. He is of greatest value <laughs> as the creator of all things, as the one who inhabits eternity. He, he was here before the rest of us. He will be here after all of us are gone. He is the author of all these things. He is worthy of our honor. When they do that, the four and 20 elders do what? They don't get up there and join the four beasts and say, hey, we'll say it too. They realize we're, all, we're lower on the rung here. We're lower on the ladder. If the four beasts are around about the throne crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come, if the four beasts, are, these cherubims are doing that, we belong on our face. <laughs> By the way, throughout Scripture, help me tonight, help me, help me, help me. I like to point this out as often as I can because of the shift in what is called worship today. If I use those two terms, praise and worship, they are tremendous terms. Bible terms that we need to use correctly. Let's don't let a wrong crowd steal good terms from us, right? But if I say praise and worship, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? What's that? CCM. They've, they've coined those terms and said, here's what praise and worship equates to. This style of music and this style of music performed in a church setting. Praise and worship is actually exalting the Lord God. Let me ask you this. When people are involved in what the culture and the Christian, so-called Christian culture has labeled praise and worship, what is generally the bodily disposition that's portrayed? I understand we don't worship God with just our bodily um, gestures and so forth, but what, would you say generally when people are doing that, they are on their face? No, they're more in his face. Huh? There's something wrong with that kind of behavior being called worship. How I many know what was going on around the golden calf? They were on their faces? Tell me what was going on around the golden calf. They were, they were having a party. They were dancing, gyrating. How I many know that dancing has made its way back into churches supposedly as a form of worship? Well, David danced. Okay. All right. Correct. Psalms talks about performing a dance to the Lord. Okay. But how about all the instances? Those are a couple of exceptions. And there's even some question about David's behavior. Michael got in trouble for criticizing. He was sincere, if nothing else, in what he did. How many of you think that he was dancing a sensual dance? He had some girl out there waltzing around. How many of you think that's kind of dance was going on? How many think he... Uh, how many think that he had a bunch of folks out there in uh, some ladies with him in yoga pants dancing that night around? Come on now, no way. No. How many understand what the man at the, the gate called Beautiful did when he got his legs back? He was walking and leaping. They were so excited. They were leaping and praising God. Is that really what we're seeing going on today? Not really, it's not. It's not. See, so what does this have to do with what we're looking at tonight? I want to look at what's going on. The four and 20 elders, remember, they are an ensample to us, are they not? What does their worship of the Lord look like? Are they saying, Lord, look how, look how wonderful we are? Or are they on their faces? One is filled with, look at me. 
The other says, look at him. You with me tonight? Listen, this is important. This is not, this is not rooted in some kind of despite for anybody. You realize God, the Bible says the Lord despiseth not any. Now, the Lord doesn't despise any, neither should we. So the root of what I'm speaking of here has not to do with despising anyone. It has to do with defining terms biblically. Let's walk through this. The Daniel in chapter 9, I believe it was, was grieved over his own sins and the sins of his people. How many of us know what posture you'll find Daniel in in chapter 9? On his face. John in chapter 1 of Revelation is impressed with the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ with feet as brass and eyes as a flame of fire. And what posture do we find John in? On his face. Isaiah chapter 6, the, the presence of the Lord filled the temple. And what posture really we're going to find if you read Isaiah 6, we find Isaiah in on their face. In the garden, there were some people opposing the Lord Jesus. You find them on their back, right? Our Lord in grieving worship of God the Father and obedience, say, praying, uh, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. How many should say that was an attitude of worship? Do you know where he was? On his face. Christians in America today need to get off their feet and we need to be on our faces. And we won't until we realize the greatness of God. Lord God Almighty is a term of authority. These beasts recognize you are in charge of us. We were made by you. You govern our lives. Uh, holy, holy, holy. How many of us would say the primary attribute that is emphasized by the so-called Christian culture today is the holiness of God? How many of us would say you walk in the average so-called Christian bookstore today and what you're going to find is shelves full of books about the holiness of God? Mm, I don't think so. How many know that years ago there was a preacher named A.W. Tozer and he was very burdened over the spiritual state of our nation you realize back in the 1950s and 60s, he said, we have got to get a hold of the fact that God is holy. <laughs> and he is. Uh, the Bible says of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was holy, harmless. Holy before he was harmless. Amen. That's what at least it's em emphasized. My point is this tonight. What we find around the throne, when we can see God for where he truly is at. Let me ask you this today. Where's God the Father today? He's on his throne. Where's God the Son today? At the right hand of the Father on the throne. And though the God, God the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart, He is on the throne as well. But the Christian needs to have this view of the Lord. He is on His throne. He is in a position of authority. He is the governor of the universe. And we need to get that clear picture of Him tonight. If we don't have that view of Him, we have to ask, where am I getting my view of God from? Am I getting it from, may I say this? We can listen to music that speaks about the Lord, but we better be careful getting your theology from music. Our music should have proper theology, but how many of us understand music is not divinely inspired. The people that wrote them may have God's gifting on their lives. The Bible is given by inspiration of God. We better get our view of God from the Scripture. So as we look at this round about the throne, you have these four beasts and the consequence of their cry, holy, Holy, holy Lord God Almighty, on the mature Christian, on the elders who have been victors, their response is not, hey, yes, you woo, glory, we're in good shape here. No, no, no. No, they're on their face. And so let's look at that. Now, we shift from the witness of the beast to the worship of the elders in verse 9. 
And when the beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and do what? And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and we're creative. Just so I'm clear tonight, I don't think it's wrong to get excited about spiritual things. If the Lord answers a prayer, nothing wrong with their people. I understand around here we're a little more reserved. That's just kind of the way we are. There are people who get excited and say, well, glory. That, that's, that's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong. But it's got to be rooted in this right here. And understanding who is the creator on the throne. Not saying, here's what a lot of how many of you know what much of what is called worship in church is often referred to as? Performance. We're going to perform at church today. Many of the so-called bands today spend hours of practice to get ready for their Sunday performance. Little snippets have been found from some of those popular groups that are pushing the CCM saying when you don't have it, you've got to put it on until you get people stirred up. Meaning, go up there and be as insincere. Your job there is to get people worked up. Not good. Not good. We need to be moved by who the Lord is today. Who he was is who he is and who he's always going to be. And so as we look at the four and twenty elders, let's consider the three things we see here about them. Number one, their prostration before the throne. The Bible says the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. That is always, uh, it, is a, it is a symbol of worship. When you find the wise men, the wise men in Bethlehem before the child Jesus, where do we find them? They knelt before him. They bowed before. Do you think you feel a little weird bowing before a baby? Not if you knew who the baby is. When you know that little one right there is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then you realize I don't belong to be on my feet right now. I need to be on my knees. Now, I understand you can get on your knees or lay on your face and not have worship in your heart. But I believe if you have worship in your heart, you can get on your face. I go back to A.W. Tozer. Those who knew him said he was known to pray for hours on his face. He'd be found in his study five, six, seven hours on his face praying. Somebody come in and find him that way, praying on his face. George Mueller, and these are not perfect men, but faithful men. George Mueller died on his knees in prayer. He literally died on his knees in prayer. Uh, they found him after he had been in prayer that morning. He never came to breakfast. They went and found him on his knees in prayer. What a way to die. The pastor, if you pick a way to die, man, that'd be the way to go right there. Either die preaching or die praying or die giving the gospel to somebody. George Mueller was found. He learned, and George Mueller and I, there were other preachers that had the same habit. They would read their Bible on their knees. It was great, great for them. He helped them. And look, you can get on your knees and not have worship in your heart. And I believe you can pray on your feet and have it in your heart. So don't misunderstand. I'm preaching to you tonight. We're not talking about some kind of an outward form putting worship in the heart. But how many of you know this? When worship, how many of you know, know this? Attitude of heart is reflected in countenance and posture. Yeah, if somebody walks up to me and I don't like them, I'm not good at hiding my countenance. If they have somehow done something evil, I'm not going to be able to say, oh, hey, I, I've tried at times to hide the way I feel. I am I'm not good at it. I don't want to get good at it. So if we have worship in our heart, is it going to show up in how we posture? Is it going to show up in how we sing in church? It is. 
You're going to show up in how we approach our Bibles. It is. Here we find the worship that was in their heart was, was demonstrated through how they used their bodies. They fall before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying. So when we find here, the most valuable thing we find in their possession is the crown. It's made of gold. They have white raiment. They have crowns of gold, crowns that are given to them for faithfulness, meaning the Lord Jesus has bestowed honor on them, saying these are faithful ones. They have finished their course. They have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness for them. But they realized if it weren't for Christ, they wouldn't even be in heaven, let alone have a crown on their head. They realized it was his blood that bought them out of hell and put them in heaven. They realized that it was his life and his strength that gave them the ability to stay on course when they wanted to quit. And they said, no, 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 thou art worthy. I would have, I would have been in hell long ago if it weren't for you dying in my place. I would have quit my race long ago if it weren't for you giving me the life and strength and wisdom to carry on. You're the one worthy. We've got the crown, but you get it back. If you want any motivation to be faithful in your course, you want something when you are caught up with who Jesus Christ is in heaven someday, you're going to want something to put at his feet. Amen? One of the primary reasons we ought to run to win a crown is so you have something to present to your worthy master someday. He doesn't need your crown. He doesn't want your crown, but I promise you he's worthy of it. What a shameful day. How many of you have ever been at a birthday party or someplace where someone was being honored and you got caught off guard and you were supposed to bring something and you didn't? What an embarrassing place to be. Everybody's supposed to honor this person. Maybe it's a retirement party and everybody's supposed to honor them with a nice card and a gift card or something. And you show up and you're just there for the hors d'oeuvres. You couldn't care about anything else. <laughs> and you go, oh, no, I was supposed to bring something to honor this person. I don't have anything but me and my appetite. There are going to be people in heaven that are going to be there with nothing to put at his feet. And so we find their presentation. You and I find when you worship the Lord, not only is the posture one of humility, submission, and reverence, the presentation is we don't give him the worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ does not give him the least valuable thing we have. We give him our best. What more could these... You realize the crown on their head symbolized the entirety of their life. Do you realize men had run an entire... You, let's just say it's the Apostle Paul. That crown on his head is what he got for being beaten. Forty times save one. Three times he got beaten that way. Yes? Or is it five times? That's what he got for being shipwrecked multiple times. That crown, this, was the, this represented the entirety of a life of faithfulness since he got saved. And he said, you're worthy of that. I don't think we can grasp the value. And yet we have a hard time giving the Lord 15 minutes of our morning. How dare we call ourselves worshipers when we won't give him 15 more minutes of our day in prayer? We're not worshipers at that point. We're feigning worship. Worship gives the Lord what is best. Can I, can I point that out in somebody else's life? How about Mary when she anointed the feet of the Lord Jesus? Was Mary a wealthy woman? No, but she had something that was worth a year's wages. That box of spikenard was worth a year's wages. Most valuable thing that woman had. 
And the only way to get it on him was to break it, meaning it's going to be done. And when Mary was given the opportunity to bestow worship on the Lord Jesus, she did not bring her threadbare doily that she never used anymore and lay it at his feet and said, here's something to show you my appreciation for you. I hope you can use it sometime for something. No, she brought the most precious thing she had and she poured it on him. You see what I'm saying? Worship says he is the most valuable person. He is the most valuable. This is the most valuable relationship I have. He is more valuable than anything. He's the creator. He's more valuable than all of creation. He's more valuable than my paycheck. He's more valuable than my happiness. He's more valuable than than my pleasure. No, you are worthy of glory and honor. And that's what they say. It brings us to our final point, their proclamation. Thou art worthy, meaning you are deserving. You are are worthy. You are fit to receive. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You want a picture of what true worship is? Here it is right here in Revelation chapter 4. Worship, Jesus said it this way, the Father seeketh such to worship him. What kind? They that worship him in spirit and in truth. You realize God is who he is tonight. He's not going to change. God is all-powerful. That's not a fictitious statement. That's a factual statement. God is love. God is mercy. But God is holiness. He is every good thing we can think of or we know comes from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And yet tonight, how many times do we treat the Lord like leftover food? Well, it sustains me and I'm glad for it, but it's not what I would choose if I had my choice. Eh? Is that what he's worthy of? You know, I believe this. The longer you serve the Lord and the better you know him, the more you and I realize we're not deserving that he would even pay attention to us. The wisest men recorded in Scripture said things like this. What is man? When David was told, I'm going to establish your house forever, he said, who am I? Not, not surprising. I mean, I did slay Goliath with only, you know, five smooth stones. Not surprising. I trusted you when King Saul did not. I'm the better guy. I knew that. When God said, I'm going to bestow the kingdom on you and your family, David said, who am I? Why me? Why me? The wise men that traveled and laid gifts at the Lord Jesus' feet question again, did they give him what is precious or did they give him what was left over? We said, well, they were probably wealthy men. We get the idea they may have been wealthy because they gave things of wealth. You realize after they worshiped the Lord Jesus, they might have been paupers? It's very possible. The Bible doesn't say they were wealthy. It says they were wise. They were wise enough to give their best to the master. We can feign worship all day, but God will not be fooled by feigned worship. Worship is when I have the heart. We find elders here. We find the wise men. Wise men fear God because the wiser you are, the clearer you'll see how good God is. Let me me close with this illustration. How many of you have ever met somebody and the first time you met them you thought, man, I really like that guy or I really like that lady. They're they're an A1 person. Somebody says, what do you think about so-and-so? We say, well, I know you can't judge me on first impressions, but my first impression is great. I think they're a great person. And then you get to know them and develop a friendship. And the more you try to get a friendship, the more you realize, boy, was I fooled. 
the deeper you go, the nastier it gets. You ever had that kind of experience? Some people do that. They marry a person like that. Like, oh, 25 years later, 30 years later, I had no idea what a rotten person I was marrying. <laughs> Generally, we marry what we are, but it doesn't always work that way. And my point is this. With human relationships, really often we do put our best foot forward, don't we? And the longer you get to know, even if the person is cream of the crop, they're the, a good person, godly character, the longer you get to know them, the more you're going to find out some things that are going to make you go, huh, I'm going to have to love you in spite of you, not because of you. Aren't you glad it's not that way with God? The more you know God, it only gets better. You don't get some nasty surprise someday and find out that he wasn't what you thought he was. You'll find out he's greater than you thought he was. That's why elders and wise people are on their face before him. Not running around like a toddler thinking that the center of the universe is themselves. We realize the center of the universe is the one who created it. Amen? He's worthy of our best. He is worthy of our humility. He's worthy of our worship, of our service, our submission, our obedience, and of the best things we... If God, let me say this as we close tonight, if God has endowed you, and some of you he has, with a tremendous mind, then he's worthy that you would give your intellect to him. If God has endowed you with good health, he's worthy for you to give your good health to his service, to him. If God has endowed you with finances, he's worthy of that. If God has endowed you with some spiritual gift, he's worthy that that should be used for him. How often are we using our best things for things of this world and whatever's left for him? Not so. The heart of worship says no. What, what he's worthy of is glory and honor and power. That's why we're to love him with a heart, soul, mind, and strength because he's worthy of that. You can't give God more power than he has. That's not the idea. He's worthy of the power that you have being laid to his feet. He's one worthy to receive it. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. What was created initially and what is still in existence today because of creation is to be for his pleasure. You realize the universe is to run at God's pleasure. Many people talk about what's the word sovereignty. We do believe God is sovereign, by the way. We don't have to be a Calvinist to believe that God is sovereign, right? By sovereign, we don't mean because he does what he will that he won't let you do what you will. You know what pleases God? To allow you to make choices. God gets, I heard, I read some great the other day. said, Calvinists are one that really denying the sovereignty of God. They're trying to pin him in a box and say because he's sovereign, he couldn't give man a choice. Well, that puts man back on the throne, now, doesn't it? The one who's trying to make him out to have, be some kind of a different sovereign than he is. Well, the fact is, he's God. He will do as he pleases. And what he pleases is always good. So tonight, may we be like, may we be mature Christians. Mature Christians are on their face, giving their best to the one who's worthy. Amen. Amen.